This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Yeah. That, that is how I look at what a bullet should do. Uh, That's nicely and- stated. You're going to get a lot of flack on that one, Steve. Hello, everyone, and welcome to RSO Podcast. Hey, I have a special guest today who's going to talk to us about one of the hottest properties in shooting, copper bullets. We've got a lot of great copper bullets coming on strong for a darn good reason. They work. On this episode, we're going to find out why the hammer bullet as a copper bullet works. And to tell us is one of the proprietors, the men who started Hammer Bullets up in Montana. This gentleman's name is Steve Price, and he is with us from his factory up in Montana. Steve, welcome to RSO Podcast. I am excited to find out all about what makes Hammer Bullets so darn good. Hey, Ron, good to see you. Um, Little correction there, it's Steve Davis. Steve Uh, Davis, what did I call you? Steve Price. Price? <laughs> He's an old elk hunting buddy of mine. I'm sorry. <laughs> boy, oh boy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's always good to get the right name in there. <laughs> I, well, I've been called a lot worse. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think I got hammer bullets correct though, didn't I? You, you did. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. That is a heck of a bullet. Now, I tried them for the first time last fall on a deer hunt, and it worked beautifully. It was just wonderfully accurate in my 25-06. So I thought, I have got to find out what makes these things so good. I've worked with a lot of copper bullets over the years. You know, I try to stay up on what's out there. Um, but this particular one really strikes me as one of the sleekest, highest BC copper bullets I've found. Tell me a little bit about what makes hammer bullets as a copper bullet so accurate and effective on game. The deer I took with this, I mean, the destruction of the vital organs was impressive. What's exactly going on with these bullets? Well, the accuracy part of it, I guess, would be probably a a side effect of our drive band design that we came up with. when we designed that, the goal was to solve the copper bullet issue of 
too much pressure in tight board rifles and poor accuracy mm-hmm. in loose board rifles. You know, the, the bore on a rifle, they have tolerance. So yeah. they're not always exactly the same. And the copper being a little harder material than lead won't obutrate under pressure like lead does to squeeze through that tight one or uh, expand out to seal the loose one. So we came up with, I'll, I'll grab one sitting here. I don't know if you all can see it or not, but if I can get that in the camera there, the little, the drive bands are on a radius. So they're, they're curved. Uh, what that did is it allowed, or it made the, the outside diameter of that radius very finite in that amount of material that actually makes contact. And by doing that, it reduces the pressure, but allows us to make the bullet actually slightly big so that it will seal those loose guns Mm -hmm. and continue to have good accuracy. Okay. Uh, If I can stop you for a second, Steve, just to make sure I'm understanding it correctly. For the folks who are not watching this on YouTube and only listening, I'll do a little description. So I'm looking at a, a typical, what, is this a secant ogive nose on it? Most most of our bullets are tangent. Um, tangent, okay. So yeah. but we've got a long a long sleep nose with a fairly sharp tip on it, a hollow point in it. But the drive bands that you're talking about are covering the shank of the bullet. That's the part most of us are assuming is being engraved by the rifling. Correct. Exactly. So that bearing surface of the bullet, the part that actually mm-hmm. makes contact in the barrel. Okay, so now these grooves that you carve around the shank, and I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, six or seven of them on this twenty-five caliber bullet. Those grooves obviously are under the bore size. They're not touching the rifling at all, right? Correct. Yeah, we so the the outside diameter of the drive bend, what we, we call it PDR. Um uh, Great name that I came up with, parabolic drag reduction. Um, <laughs> sounds sounds free, sounds pretty good, but it's, yeah, it's it's that radius. So it's technically a banded bullet, or uh-huh. a, not a groove, not a grooved bullet. Um, okay, so so, outside, so, the, so what I'm what you're saying then is that it's not so much that you've carved deep into the bullet to make the grooves, is that you've got the high part between the grooves that are full diameter that are touching the bottom of the grooves for the engraving of the bullet and sealing yes. the bore. Okay. Yes. Now are all of those raised sections then of the uh, same diameter? Are they all touching? Are you using a single drive band or all of these drive bands? We use them all. So okay. the, that bearing surface would be like a, a conventional bullet, you know, all the same, same diameter of, of caliber on Mm -hmm. that bullet all the way across the bearing surface. So they all have the ability to seal. Yeah. And then of course you're reducing your copper fouling because you don't have as much surface area touching, right? Yeah. We, we see almost no copper fouling less than we see with jacketed bullets. Oh, nice. Um, I like that drive band idea. Are there other, there's been drive bands out there for a long time. I assume I certainly heard about them now and then. Yeah, we're not um, the first ones to make a drive band. What yeah, what we did different is made them on a radius, and that's where we got our patent. Um, okay, so we took it a little farther than than had been done before. 
Yeah. So your radius is sort of the bottom of the groove between the high spots instead of being a sharp right angle. Yeah. So there's radius everywhere. So the, the top of the drive band is radius. Oh, radius is in the valley and then radius is on the top. I have got a loop here from my photography days with slides and I'm going to use that to get a magnified image. Oh, I see exactly what you're saying, Steve. Hey folks, this is really interesting. Yeah, there are no sharp angles on these grooves, and it's just a radius up and over and down, and wow, you need to look at this. Can you see this, Steve? Oh, of course I you can't. Can. <laughs> I have one here. Well, yeah, you got on my, one. My old, man, my old man glasses to see it, but yeah, I can see it. <laughs> so then you've, that is really nifty. Um, I can see where that would really minimize the contact, obviously, but you're still getting good surface contact areas for the length of the shank. It's not just in one spot. So it's not like you're going to yes. get a little bullet wobble at any point, right? Yeah, so we've got more than one contact uh, spot in the case neck as well as mm-hmm. the barrel. You know, and by having multiple drive bands, then we're not limited on where we can seat that bullet. So oh, you can hadn't thought of that. Bullet like a, yeah, you can seat it like a conventional bullet anywhere on that bearing surface. So the sure. general rule, I, I pretty much ignore the bands and seat to where that rifle wants them to be seated. Yeah, nice. That's, you guys really thought this out. How many um, prototypes did you work with till you came up with this? Um, a year or so worth. <laughs> worth, sorry, uh, <laughs> pretty steady, huh? Was, well, when, yeah. When we first started, you know, we knew we knew we wanted to do a drive band bullet. You know, mm-hmm. in in our 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 uh, quest for that bullet, you know, we found drive band bullets, copper bullets, and 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 liked liked them. Um, but every copper bullet we tried had some sort of an issue that we didn't we didn't like and Mm -hmm. so we we wound up you know making it um and so the the at that time the we knew we wanted to make these bullets but we didn't want to step on somebody else's patent yeah and so we had to come up with something that would not not get in the way of somebody else's patent and sure uh, you know and the the radius idea it my kid was doing some math that was i vaguely remembered but was over my head and i couldn't help him with (laughs) and it had to do with parabolas um and that's the next day you know my fellow that was helping us with the patent work you know he had we had come up with some ideas and he told us, well, no, you can't do that because it's too similar to something else that is already out there. And Mm -hmm. I'll never forget. He said, well, think out of the box, you'll come up with something. And I was trying to think out of the box, you know, and and his homework and all that was in my head. And I'm like, well, we could do these parabolic drive bands and minimize that contact and all that stuff. And, uh, so we we made some, and I went and shot them, and they shot good. Heck, I we didn't even know if they were going to come out the end of the barrel. Um, <laughs> it, I've got the first target we ever shot hanging on the wall here. Uh, 
you know, I just I ran out from the house and hung a target on a stump and shot it off the tailgate of a truck. And I got a little group and I, I called Brian and said, boy, they, they shoot really good. <laughs> and, <laughs> and anyhow, that was, that was the point in time when we were, we actually decided that we needed to pursue the patent because it worked, it worked so well. Yeah. And then we had to take kind of hit the brakes and, and go through that patent process that took us, I don't know, a couple of months or so to get that written up and get it submitted. Mm-hmm. Well, that's great. Now, everybody loves an accurate bullet, but for hunting, of course, terminal performance is what really counts. So once your bullet gets there, what is so special about this copper bullet that makes it effective on game? Well, terminal performance was, is and always was our guiding principle. That As hunters, we were after a bullet that would make our game nice and dead without blowing it up. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, Brian and I both grew up hunting and it was, it was a source of food for both of us as kids, you know, mm-hmm. you know, being taught by dad, you know, Hey, we got to shoot this behind the shoulder, but don't get too close to that shoulder. We don't want to lose any meat. Yeah. Uh, and you know, the shooting an animal and losing meat, even though you didn't hit it was that, that's what got us into it. You know, not, not. We didn't want to lose that meat. Yeah. Um, so that's how we found copper. Um, and then the principle that we want with our bullets um, came from, uh, there's a physics paper out there called Shooting Holes in the Wounding Theory. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a physics study that's fairly difficult to read, but it's better than some, you know, the layman can read it. and he outlines exactly what a bullet should do to create the greatest wound channel um, in, in the, in that soft tissue. Uh That was the principle we went after. And, you know, we thought when we started, if we just got pure copper, everything would be great. Well, it didn't work. It didn't Um, work. No. And then the, the quest for a copper that would do what we wanted, that was that was a journey we didn't expect, but we we when we finally found the copper that we currently use, that made all the difference in the world. Oh, so, so copper is not copper is not just copper, Steve. There's different kinds of copper. <laughs> yeah, well, more than you can count. Uh, really? And oh yeah, so uh, we were, I would say, literally blessed to find the copper that we did. Huh. Uh, it. it uh, it wasn't because we were smart. We just, we were helped by God on that one. Uh, but the goal was to get that bullet to peel back like a banana. Mm-hmm. But we wanted those petals off. It's not as pretty for the marketing pictures, you know, of the the, the bullet that's been fired and, and recovered. Uh, but it's more effective. What we want, we want that bullet to go from its ballistic form, which is what flies through the air. Yeah. We want that on impact to change to its terminal form. You know, so the bullet looks nice to fly through the air, but that's not what does the killing. We want that bullet to get flat and square on the front, kind of like if you were shooting a a flat base bullet backwards. Uh You know, the the old timers in Alaska used to load bullets backwards for bear yeah um, 
and and that's what we want is that that you know if i hold that guy up you know that that flat square you know we're not after the bigger the big double caliber mushroom we want square and flat very cylindrical on the on the retained shank so you're getting that after your pedals break off right yes sir yeah okay um and that flat square front as it passes through the soft tissue will displace perpendicular to the direction that it's going mm-hmm. versus a round a rounded front will kind of part its way through and not create as much permanent wound uh temporary wound is kind of elastic it right. goes out and comes back but right. we need permanent wound to create blood loss mm-hmm. and that's what does the killing you know the we with you know i hate to use the word killing but that's i guess that's what we're doing you know we're harvesting yeah, that's what we're doing we, yeah we want them to die quickly and humanely and so that blood loss is what causes it the faster we can bleed the animal the the more quickly they they die right um, and bullets do it by tearing a hole versus mm-hmm. Archery equipment cuts a hole, you know, and those yeah. we all know those cuts bleed very fast. Mm-hmm. And the terror doesn't bleed quite as fast as a clean cut. So we need to create as big of a tear as we can. And okay. it uh it's a bit against conventional wisdom. You know, you'd think that that as that if that bullet gets bigger in diameter, then it'll make a bigger hole. It's not mm-hmm. necessarily true. It's the shape of that going through that creates the bigger hole so mm-hmm. the flat square front is what we want kind of like a dangerous game bullet flat yeah that's on the front mm-hmm. or uh you know the old hard cast bullets you know that are just sure. square on the front from the get-go they kill very mm-hmm. efficiently and that's what we want this to turn into after impact okay so when when you first told me that your pedals are designed to break off i thought okay this is going back to the lead core bullets that fragment to one degree or another, and you get little pieces flying off and damaging more tissue. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also, you're wanting not just the pedals to do that, but the remaining shank of the bullet, you're actually getting better performance as far as tissue destruction from that flat, essentially the base at the hollow end of the nose there once the pedals are gone. Yes. Huh. Yeah, I hadn't thought so- of that. Well, in the you know when we first started, we didn't even give any thought to the pedals. We just want we just knew we wanted them off. Hmm. Didn't care, didn't care about them beyond that. It was all about creating that square front. Over time, we've learned that those pedals play a pretty big issue or a pretty big part in in that terminal performance. And when these pedals come off, they tend to actually track with the shank of the bullet. Mm-hmm. Uh, which keeps that wound channel also larger yet because you've got, you know, three or four little projectiles going along with that uh-huh. retained shank. Yeah. Um, so we, we've tweaked our design over the years a little bit and paid some attention to those pedals and actually have increased the size of the pedals or, uh, over what we used to do. So we, we've, we've, allowed the bullet to shed a little more weight than we used to uh-huh. um, and, and allow those pedals to, to also be a, a big part of that terminal performance. 
Well, that explains what I saw on this whitetail I shot last fall with the 25-06. Used your little 92-grain bullet, and when I opened it up, the uh, entrance hole was fairly significant, and it wasn't like a little pencil hole. Uh, and then the lung and heart damage was extensive, which I expected, but the exit hole had three extra holes around it. So, you know, I'm looking at a probably a inch and a half, two inch exit hole. I figure that's your main bullet, maybe drag some of the rib bone with it or something. But then off to the side, there were these three little, and it it hit me pretty quickly that those are probably the pedals. And I was surprised how close they were to the center hole. They were probably only an inch away from it. Yeah. And they, they, we generally see them exit as well. Um, yeah, they exited. That was know, crazy. The, um, and that's that's a function of the copper as well. Uh, yeah, some coppers they'll they'll shed like that, but the petals will radi- kind of radiate outward, um, and and not penetrate with that shank. Hmm. With the copper we use, we're we're getting those petals to actually track along with the shank. Uh huh. Well, you know, years ago when I was getting into the uh, copper bullets, and we're going back into the 90s, there was something out of Europe called the GPA bullet, if I remember right. I don't know if you ever heard of it, but it was a copper bullet with a hollow point, and I believe it was designed for the pedals to break off, and I wanted to experiment with it. So I loaded some up in a thirty out 6 and I loaned a rifle to a buddy of mine who had a bear tag. And he shot a bear a little far back behind the diaphragm. And I thought, "Uh uh-oh. But that bear rather quickly expired. And when we opened it up, one of the pedals had gone through the diaphragm and into the lungs and cut some some major arteries. And that's what did it. Otherwise, I think we we would have had problems. So right there, I saw the benefits of having shed pedals, which is what you usually don't think of with an all-copper bullet. You think of it staying in one piece. Yeah. Yeah, we in all reality if if our bullet held on to those pedals we would not quite but almost consider that a failure. Um, hmm. we really want those off and we want them off as quickly as possible. Yeah. Um it uh you know it it, it does a couple of things, you know, that that opening and shedding creates a a, a very want to say a massive shock at that point creates a, a big shock at that point that that opens and releases mm-hmm. and that tends to um kind of shut an animal down when that great shock happens and then after that then we get that permanent wound damage yeah uh, on through straight line penetration mm-hmm. uh, you know and you talk about that marginal hit on a bear um we learn more from marginal hits than we do from perfect hits yeah. You know, and you know, not not that we go out we don't go out and try and get them, but it happens. Mm-hmm. And when when we get recoveries rapidly on on animals that in the you know, in past history we would expect a long day of trying to find them, boy, that that's when we know we, what we've got going on works very well. Yeah. So that the flat point, like you say, the bullet flipped around so that you've got the flat base driving forward. You find that that does more tissue damage than the rounded classic mushroom that we've all yes. seen in the ads for the last 50 years or more. And then that harks back to, as you mentioned earlier, the dangerous game bullet. 
which has the flat front on it. Now, I always thought the flat front on a dangerous game bullet was to aid with straight line penetration. In other words, it's if you don't have the ogive curve of the nose at, against which you can get differential pressures from the internal tissues, making that bullet angle or tumble with the flat front, you're pretty much just punching through evenly all the way around, and that's what helps it maintain its straight line of travel through the animal. Am I right in that? Yes, you are. You know, and that's we've we've been doing a lot of work now on on dangerous game stuff and, and big bore, and mm-hmm. we're working on on expanding our line there. But yes, you're correct. That flat square front does keep that bullet straight line penetrating better than a a rounded front. Uh, mm-hmm. So that would hold true in our our normal hammer hunters or shock hammers, um, that square front is going to also, after, after we've shed that nose is also going to aid in that straight line penetration. Um, you know, and in that also, which kind of, I guess, brings us to another topic, uh, that we learned through, we learned a lot of stuff when we started testing bullets, but stability of the bullet, becomes very important in terminal performance. You know, we always think we've, we've learned to about stability and ballistic performance. You know, if a bullet mm-hmm. is not stable enough, it won't fly well. Well, I was like most everybody. If, if my bullet shot good, well, then it ought to do what it's supposed to when it gets there. Right. Um, well, that turns out not to be true. If a, a bullet can fly quite nicely, marginally stable. Yeah. But on impact, then they'll tend to have poor results with a yaw on impact so the bullet doesn't open or even tumble into the animal and maybe not penetrate the direction we need it to. Yes. So the higher that stability on the bullet is, the longer it will straight line penetrate before it tries to change an angle. Yeah, um, that is, that's really brilliant what you've done here. When I'm thinking about this flat nose, there are a lot of guys who love flat nose bullets because I think mostly because they grew up with a 4570 or a 3030 or the old bullets that were pretty much flat nosed. But they claim that that hits harder or it, it terminates more quickly something. And I don't know how one proves that, but I... I do understand the straight line penetration idea with those flat fronts, but then you don't want that on your bullet for ballistic reasons, because then you're pushing so much air drag. You just, you don't get the ballistic terminal performance you need and you're losing energy by the time you get there. So what's brilliant about your design is you've got a long, sleek, sharply tipped bullet that flies beautifully and doesn't shed its energy pushing air out of the way. But when it gets there, it converts to the flat point by shedding those pedals. Exactly. That's that, that was the goal. And, and, uh, we got there, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. one thing to have a goal, you know, but then actually get to the goal, um, a little pat on the back, you know, we actually, we got there. We, we reached the goal that we were after. Yeah, that's got to be quite satisfying. I'm really impressed. I hadn't thought at all about uh, that flat nose front and stuff you're talking about here. I just thought, okay, you break the pedals off and you get some damage in, in other directions just in case you didn't make the perfect shot and all the rest of it. That is really fascinating. Now, do all of your bullets do that? How many bullets do you have in your line? Different oh, types. Um, to, uh, well, in our hunting line of bullets, we've got, all really kind of two lines uh, with some sub lines off of it. So we've got our hammer hunters. Mm-hmm. Those would be our, 
our our most sexy bullet. Um, mm-hmm. And then the shock hammer line, which is really not built with ballistics in mind. You know, uh, they're pretty uh, big meat plat, short nosed, high weight retention bullets. Kind of, kind of what when we designed it to be the the perfect normal range hunting bullet where BC just doesn't matter. You know, for the guy that's okay. shooting three or four hundred yards or less. Yeah. Um, and then uh, we've got our absolute hammers, which that's kind of a that's a wild bullet. You know, the engraving pressure is extremely low on it. Yeah. So it can create some higher velocities, but they do not line up with conventional data at all. So I recommend those only to people that are very comfortable with wildcat loading, you know, going out and doing their own load development and figuring out their own loads without mm-hmm. any guiding any guiding data to help them out. Uh, wow. So I kind of reserve we kind of reserve those for the very seasoned reloader. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we've got one that we call a dead blow. We haven't promoted it much, but it's the Hammer Hunter with a deeper hollow point so it will shed more weight. Oh, okay. So a less retained weight, more shed weight. And we kind of, we designed that. There's a a large contingent of hunters out there that have their, their, what they're after is a bullet that sheds more weight or sheds more energy in the animal. Oh, Um, yes. Mm -hmm. It doesn't, it doesn't fit my personal philosophy, but there's guys that are after that. And yep. Of course, we wouldn't market it if it didn't work well. So we we hunted with them, and and they do work quite well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can I can see that. I hear that from a lot of folks that there's there's just really two schools to shoot through and to stay inside, um, and and they both work. I can't honestly say that one is superior to the other as far as terminating the animal quickly, but I do like the exit exit hole in case there has to be some blood trailing anyway you know, and there's plenty of animals i've shot where all the energy was dumped inside and i didn't have an exit hole and the blood trailing was non it just wasn't there it took a long time to find that animal so over the years i've gone over to the shoot through style myself yeah i'm i'm personally on you know the the two schools there is is trying to create the greatest amount of permanent wound damage that that yeah. wound channel so you can have a really big one that doesn't go very far, or mm-hmm. one that's maybe not quite as big around but goes farther in length. Mm-hmm. You know, which one has the most amount of permanent wound is maybe that's where the debate is, but I want that one that goes far. I want that yeah. long permanent wound channel. Um that that we don't always have the perfect broadside shot, you know. Yeah. In in the field, sometimes it looks like it's straight broadside but it turns out he was actually angled more than you thought and if we don't have good straight line penetration through the other side we might not get to what we need yeah so i i i often compare it to archery you mentioned uh, cutting and broadheads earlier and obviously you don't have much energy in an arrow and yet they they kill remarkably quickly because of that cutting so if you think of your bullet as a device for cutting even though it rips instead of cuts the uh, objective is the same and that's to open up the uh, blood vessels the arteries bleed the animal out because that's ultimately what does it in unless you hit a um, central nervous system shot obviously but then you can do that with a 22 long rifle yeah so i you know one way i explain it to customers often is you know, if I could create a magic bullet 
um, that bullet would be its ballistic form, like the one you're holding on to, and mm-hmm. it would fly through the air very nicely. And the moment that it makes impact, it would instantly turn into its terminal form, and yeah. then it would pass through the animal without losing a single foot per second. That would be the magic bullet. Um, yeah. Because it's a, it's a function of how fast that terminal form is going through the soft tissue. The faster yeah. it's moving through it, the more it displaces it. You know, so if yeah. you think about a bullet hitting and stopping in the animal, well, they don't have sensors in them that tell them when they get to the other side, okay, now hit the brakes and stop. They're slowing down as they get through the animal. Right. The slower that bullet gets as it goes through the animal, the less wound it makes. Down Bingo. To of none. Yes. And so the magic bullet would go through without losing any velocity and create the same size wound channel all the way through. Yeah. That, that is how I look at what a bullet should do. Uh, that's nicely and, stated you're going to get a lot of flack on that one steve their guys sure. are going to be talking about <laughs> waste wasting that bullet's energy in the hillside beyond yeah, i hear that a lot but i'm with you it just doesn't make any sense that that bullet's going to do more damage when it gets slower have you ever heard this argument from uh, some seven rem mag anti seven rem mag people that the seven rem mag doesn't work very well because it's going so fast that the bullet just zips right through and doesn't do any damage yeah, uh, we've had that discussion a lot, you know, and um, I've tested a lot of bullets, and I'll tell you what, they, I, I am not a subscriber to a bullet hitting too fast, and it didn't have enough time to expand before it got out. Yeah. Um, the faster a bullet hits, the faster it reacts to that impact. Um, the slower it hits, the more slowly it reacts to that impact. Um, so... No, I don't believe that. You know, they, uh, something else happened in that situation, not that it was too fast. Yeah, I agree. And that's not to say that big, heavy, slow bullets aren't effective. They certainly are. But I don't yes, think it's they because are. they're going slower and slower as they go through. It's the momentum that they carry because of their mass and helps penetrate. And you generally get complete penetration with those really, really big bullets too. But well, we don't want to belabor the point for too long. The important part is that your bullets really seem to do the job. Now, how do you make these things exactly? It's pretty obvious. You're not just stamping these out. No, uh, they're, they're CNC lathe turned, um, you know, so they're, they're not as fast in production as you get with, you know, your cup and cores or, or bullets that are swaged or pounded into shape. We, Mm-hmm. They're indiv- each one is individually made. Um, so the, the amount of time it takes to create a bullet is quite a bit longer than most bullets. And you say you turn each one of them on a lathe that's controlled by a computer for precision? Yeah, we use um, what's called a Swiss-style screw machine. They're, they're big lathes that run 12-foot-long bar stock and individually make a bullet one at a time. Uh, and it's, um, I don't have a way to show it here. I would show it off, but the it's, I mean, we look at these things all the time and I'm still fascinated by them. They're very cool. Yeah. Handmade bullets, you know, a lot of advertisers of a lot of products who brag on being handmade, <laughs> but one at a time, one at they a time are. sounds like it might be pretty good. Oh, they're just beautiful. I just can't, I've never seen such workmanship on a bullet and never before have I used a magnifier to look at a bullet, but these things are just spectacular. 
you start putting a loop on bullets and you can see you can see a lot of stuff. So how did you get started? That's always the question. And I, I really admire American ingenuity and the way different companies start up. And it's usually by an individual with an idea. And, you know, it's rare that you get a major company coming out with a new product that sets the world on fire. It's usually some guys like you and Brian who are twiddling around in a garage because you've got a better idea and you try to make it work. And I'm guessing that's the way it worked with you guys. Were you just a couple of country boys who love to hunt and you wanted something better? How did this all come about? That That's pretty much right it. You know, we're just, we're just, we were those weird guys that would go to the range and set up milk jugs and catch bullets to see what they did. Um, uh-huh. And it, that it was the, he and I were on the quest for the better bullet. You know, I had, I had no idea that how fickle the, the hunting market is, you know, guys get set on what they have and they're, they don't want to change. You know, we were those guys that were always trying something new. Well, let's try that. Uh, and I just thought everybody was like that, but that, that's not true. Um, yeah. But yeah, we we started in the garage. Um, you know, it it was Brian and I had uh, we formed a company years ago, um, and we were going to make custom rifles and ammunition, mm-hmm. and that was that was the that was the business plan. And we formed a company, but we had kids and life and all that stuff. And the company just sat there and we didn't do anything with it. And then this, this idea of creating bullets came along and we decided, you know, we wanted to get into the, the, the gun industry. And we thought, well, maybe that's a good way to do it. And we, we bought a lathe and set it up in my garage and didn't know how to run it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so we we did what you know good country boys you know we were both in the trades and we we just figured it out you know and much of what we yeah. figured out we didn't what we didn't do it we weren't doing it correctly we didn't know it we were getting a bullet out the other end uh <laughs> but, but uh when we converted from that little two axis lathe in my garage to the big swiss machines um then we we got some people smarter than us and we learned how to do it right uh huh. And off we went from there. But yeah, it was we were just guys trying to trying to get a, a better product, and we literally started in my garage. Went through some tough times of you know Brian working full time, me trying to make bullets and try to get people to buy them, and him oh, paying man. me out of his paycheck. I don't know if it was harder <laughs> on him or me. Um, but it, how it long you been tough. at it? When did um, you start? So this month is the beginning of our seventh year on the market. Oh. Um, so pretty, we're still pretty young. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it, it was, we started with no budget, no advertising budget, none of that. It was, it's literally been a word of mouth adventure. Um, yeah. You know, just in this last year, we've started to try and do some advertising. Um, but Pretty much, you know, it started with me going on online and saying, look what we did, you know, and this is what we're trying to do. And and mm-hmm. a lone voice, you know, and a lot of people saying, well, you just can't do that. And I'm like, yeah, but we are. Fortunately, <laughs> we <laughs> fortunately, we got some customers that were willing to share the story as well. And, yeah. you know, when guys get a product that does what they want it to do, then they they're apt to go out and 
and sell it for us. You know, we get blamed yeah. for having all these guys on our payroll and things like that. We don't have, we don't have anybody on our payroll. It's we've got us here in the shop and we don't have anybody out there working for us, trying to peddle our bullets. Oh, that's great. You know, and it seems to be, that's just part of that whole program in which uh, somebody picks himself up by the bootstraps to m- builds what he thinks is a better mousetrap. And as I always say, they'll beat a path to your door if you've built it. How many or how many places in the world have your bullets been used? Are you selling worldwide or are you just regional? We're mostly domestic. You know, we're open to take orders from all the friendly countries. You know, it's it's a because it's firearm related, we can't sell it to Iran. Uh, yeah, you know, thank places you. like that. <laughs> but um, the the friendly countries, it's legal to ship. So we are open to receive orders from from those countries, you know, so Europe and Australia and, and mm-hmm. New Zealand and Canada. Um, and they can go straight to our website and order. Um, you know, in Canada now we have uh, um, some places that are that are selling the bullets retail uh, so they uh-huh. can go to them as well. Um, but yeah, they're, they're being used all over, but mostly here in the States, uh, yeah, shipping, shipping is an obstacle to the international market. Um, sure. But there's not much we can do about that. Have you gotten some good reports on some of the bigger animals? I mean, most people assume these, well, maybe we should even go with the smaller ones because a lot of folks think, well, a, a big copper bullet is probably going to work on a buffalo or something where you need a lot of deep penetration but they're too hard for something like a pronghorn or some of the smaller antelope in africa have you had good experience with them on a lighter framed animals oh yeah very um you know whether 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 you're using that big gun or a little gun you know i our our last trip to africa last year um i I took some unique guns. I took two. I took a thirty thirty and a seventeen Hornet. Oh boy! Uh, and <laughs> Classic Africa cartridge. <laughs> not exactly, you know. So partly, <laughs> partly to kind of prove a point, you know. So yeah. I shot my my bigger game with the thirty thirty, which is considered very marginal for you know. I shot uh, uh, a kudu, a zebra, and a wildebeest with the thirty thirty. And then I used the 17 Hornet on Impala and a Steambuck. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and the Steambuck, for those that don't know, he's a little bitty guy, 30 pounds. Um, but, uh, you know, and I'm not, I'm not advocating taking a 17 cow and going big game hunting. But I wanted to kind of prove a point that mm-hmm. that little bitty 20 grain bullet can do the job if it's constructed properly. And I killed yeah. two Impala. Um, both one and done uh, without any tracking. Um, oh, wow. And the, the little, the little steam buck. Now, I would recommend that little caliber for those guys because yeah. it, it stoned him or what we'd say we hammered him. Uh, yeah. And uh, he, you know, never took a step, but I didn't destroy the little animal, you know, so he was, he's good for a, a full mount. Yeah. Yeah, those, and there are a lot of little antelope over there. I mean, gosh, they get as light as 10 pounds. So something from 10 pounds to maybe 100 would be suitable for the little 17s and the 22s, I would imagine. 
Yeah, you know, and Brian took a twenty-two cal on that trip. Um, mm-hmm. Same same results, shooting a little bigger bullet. He was shooting a sixty uh, sixty-four grain uh, twenty-two cal um, out of a, a twenty-two nozzler. Um, nah, neat. And anyhow, you know, and yeah, we've got great reports feedback on big animals. You know, like the water buffalo and Cape buffalo and and yeah. and elephant now and there's not a lot of things out there that haven't been taken with a hammer um cool uh, which is it's kind of exciting you know i live a little vicariously through these hunts you know because i got to touch sure. that bullet and yeah and so i feel like i was part of that that guy's experience uh yeah you know yeah. so it, it's it's very satisfying for us um, oh, but we get great feedback from australia um We've got a, a customer there, and actually, he's he's just he's selling our bullets in Australia. But he gets to hunt more than we could ever dream of hunting, you know. And so, you know, when we get to go test on animals, a few animals a year, he gets to do a few animals a day, you know. Yeah. And so he'll go out and test on water buffalo, which uh, I think is probably one of the tougher animals to handle. Uh, just because their hide is so thick, um, mm-hmm. and he's he's been shooting water buffalo from our little 124 grain 30 cal out of a 300 rum, going 4200 feet per second, <laughs> which is that's way out of the box. If we're gonna get some feedback or some blowback on this, throwing yeah. out there that this guy's killing water buffalo with a 30 cal with a little 124 grain bullet is gonna yeah. get some blowback, but He's killing these animals. You know, he called me up and he says, you're not going to believe this. He says, I'm getting quicker terminal performance with that than I've seen out of any big bore gun that I've ever killed a buffalo with. Um, you know, now with that said, he's not, he's not, when he goes buffalo hunting, he's not reaching for the 30 cal. It's, it's not his go-to. But uh-huh. that velocity, you know, with a bullet that can handle that kind of impact velocity, they're getting all the way through that water buffalo to the other side with a little pill that should not be able to do that. Uh, yeah. Which is very cool. Uh, yeah. But he's, when he, when he reaches in the safe to go buffalo hunting, he's, he's, he likes the three seven fives, which are considered too small for that project also, but he's running our 270 grain shock hammer out of a 375 rum. That's his favorite. Oh, yeah. That's got high velocity too, so your bullets can stand up to it. They do. They hold up. We we have not been able to impact one too fast. They don't come undone. You know. Yeah. Our, our design is to shed the weight to the shoulder of the bullet. So we're nice. we are able to control that weight retention based on how deep we put the hollow point. And they'll retain that same weight, high or low velocity. Well, that's really quite a remarkable story, Steve. I am just really tickled to have had you on today, folks. If you're looking for something different, copper bullets are coming on strong for a darn good reason. And uh, the hammer copper bullets, I think, are are really cutting edge. They are just uh, doing what needs to be done in in a new platform i think are definitely worth trying i surely had good luck with mine and based on what steve's telling us here i am going to be trying those on some more animals and more hunts because they just really seem to do the job 
Steve, I want to thank you for tuning in and joining us on this episode. It really uh, was an exciting broadcast. I think we're going to get a lot of response from different listeners who may not agree with what we've been to saying, but uh, I think you've seen the evidence, and I certainly have. So, uh, really well, appreciate what you what you guys are doing with Hammer Bullets, and I would urge everybody to give them a hard look. Well, well I appreciate it, Ron. I'm glad you had us. Um, you know, we'll we'll get together again and. and uh, one of these days, you got to get up here to Montana and actually see what we're doing, and we'll go do a little shooting. That sounds like a good invitation. I'll take you up on that. Good deal. Um, and your website would be Hammer Bullets? Yeah, it's hammerbullets.com. Real easy. Ah, I love it. All right. All right, I guess what, what's your model? Put the hammer down or something cool like that? <laughs> I don't know. You know, I, I hit them with a hammer. You know, hammer them. Yeah. You know, my, my, my license plate on my truck says hammer them. <laughs> hammer him all right we'll do it <laughs> appreciate it man thanks right. thanks ron appreciate it all right hey everybody that was i don't know if you enjoyed that as much as i did but that was a real treat i always enjoy visiting with folks like steve who are innovators who who push the envelope and try something new because that's the way things move ahead and and you know, as much as we complain about these cartridge manufacturers coming up with all these redundant cartridges we don't need. I don't think anybody complains about a new bullet that we need. I mean, we're always looking for better terminal performance and inch by inch, foot per second by foot per second. I think we're coming up with them and these hammers are uh, a step in the right direction. So until next time, this is Ron Spomer. Thanks for joining us here on RSO podcast. If you want to see our other channel, Ron Spomer outdoors, where we cover more shooting and uh, hardcore ballistics information, check us out there and go to ronspomeroutdoors.com website and see the written materials on the same subjects. We're all about guns and ammo and shooting and hunting in the outdoors. Appreciate you listening in until next time. An honest and shoot straight.